You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Hey, good morning and happy new year. Again, remember next week, 9 and 11, 9 and 11, 9 11. Everybody got that? We're back to 9 and 11 next week. Uh, my name is Dean, I'm the pastor at City Church. Thanks for making your new year as part of your church this Sunday morning. So our last week in a series called I Believe, and that whole idea of belief becomes very cliche at Christmas time. I mean, you see grandmas wear sweaters that say I believe, and you know, that kind of just is sort of a decoration at Christmas. It's a big concept in Hallmark movies and, and, and in the music, and it's all around us this idea of believing, but the reality is for us as who claim to be Christians in this room, and if you're checking out Christianity, it's really important you know this, everything on that statement, I believe. Like what we actually believe is what makes us Christians. We believe to be true about God, about Jesus Christ, about the Bible, that Jesus rose from the grave. Like all of these things our faith hinges on, these core beliefs we have as the people of God. I'm gonna pray for us, and then we're gonna jump in. And we've talked about Mary the first week and her reaction to Christmas, how she believed. Joseph, his reaction to Christmas, how he believed. The shepherds' reaction to Christmas, how they believed. And today we're gonna to talk about John the Baptist. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for your word. We're thankful for a new year, but we are aware that true newness comes from Christ through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. So we're thankful that while the year may be new, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We take great hope and confidence in that reality. For those who are here today who are kind of checking out the faith or exploring Christianity, I ask you to open their eyes to see, Lord, their hearts to respond to your love for them in Christ. We ask you with all the churches in our community this year, Lord, that all the churches in Tallahassee will be filled with the Spirit and will proclaim the goodness and grace of Jesus Christ. We ask you to get the enemy out of this place, out of our city, and that I speak from your word and your truth this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. So Jesus called John the Baptist the greatest man born of a woman. That's in Luke chapter 7 and Matthew chapter 11. The greatest man born of a woman. I would have guessed it was Tom Brady, but Jesus knows more than me, and called John, Baptist, John the Baptist the greatest man born of, the, of a woman. Now, we've been talking about Mary Joseph Shepherd's key figures in the Christmas story, and you might go, well, I saw the video when you came out. It was all Christmas-themed. The stage is still Christmas-themed. Like, what does this have to do with John the Baptist? I know a little bit about him, but isn't he an adult in the scriptures? Like, isn't he someone who came on the scene when Jesus was already grown and had started his ministry? And the answer is yes, we see glimpses of John the Baptist when his mother Elizabeth is pregnant with him. We'll talk about that in a minute, but we're going to talk this morning mainly about John the Baptist as an adult who knew Jesus as an adult. Because what you really believe about Christmas is what you do with the truth of Jesus Christ once he gets out of the manger. What you really believe to be true about Christmas is how you respond to adult Jesus. So since Jesus called John the Baptist the greatest man ever born of a woman, it makes good sense to give a little bit of attention to the man that Jesus himself basically called the goat to the greatest of all time of people. Now the all-consuming life, the vocation of this person called the greatest was to point to someone greater and then fade into the background. The one called himself by Jesus. I think I'd be walking around all chesty, right? I mean, that, that'd like puff me up and Jesus is like, he's the greatest man born of a woman. I'd be like, darn straight. And what's John the Baptist's reply? 
referring to Jesus, he must increase, but I must decrease. To point to someone greater and then to fade into the background. We see his belief. We see his confession in this story. And as a result of that, we see his direction in his life. He achieved national fame in Israel and kind of celebrity status a lot because of his appearance. He was kind of a different looking dude, kind of a weird cat, John the Baptist, had some legend around him. If he was like here today, he'd probably have like 50 bumper stickers on the back of his car. You know those dudes, like, like Jesus loves you, but kind of a weird cat, you know, like that kind of person. You know, it's like we know, how, we know like they always have their political candidate, we're like, we know. Like, we know. He was a different kind of dude, so he was pretty famous, had some urban legend around him. But what also made him really important was the voice of prophecy from God had been silent in Israel for about 400 years. People call it the period of silence, and it, it was silence not in the fact there wasn't still the word of God in the Old Testament, but the law was still there, but people hadn't heard anything new or any kind of prophecy from God in 400 years, it almost kind of felt like God had forgotten about them. If you look to the last page of the Old Testament, from the book of Malachi, the last prophecy that records the day of the Lord, the bringing of God's redemption to the faithful and the judgment on sinners. He says, look, I'm going to send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. So a hope of redemption, also a promise of judgment here. This contains details that before the day of the Lord, the coming of Christ, the judgment of God, that Elijah will come. But Elijah's already come, so what does this mean? So after that prophecy, the voice of prophecy again leaves for about 400 years until suddenly John the Baptist, whose behavior and dress and kind of quirkiness uh, is, is reminiscent of Elijah, all of a sudden shows up on the scene proclaiming the radical nearness of the kingdom of God. Saying things like, the kingdom of God is at hand right now. And the difference between the prediction of the Old Testament, that the kingdom of God is coming someday, these promises that were taking place, and now John the Baptist on the scene saying the kingdom of God is at hand. Old Testament, it's coming, and here's John the Baptist showing up going, here we go. The story goes like this. So they asked him, he's baptizing people, why then do you baptize if you aren't the Messiah, or Elijah, or the prophet? I baptize with water, John answered them, a symbol of new life. Someone stands among you, but you don't know him. He's the one coming after me, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to untie. That was his belief about Jesus. Fundamentally, basically saying, I'm not him. I'm not even in the same universe. Like, if anybody had a brand to protect if anyone had a platform to grow, if anyone had all the fame they were looking for, I mean, blue check mark on social media, I mean, it's John the Baptist. And he says, I'm not worthy of Christ. All this happened in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look, not at me, look, the Lamb of God 
Now, this would have resonated with them in some sense because the system at the time, and it was a good system because it was God's system, but it was incomplete. It was pointing us towards this moment here where you would bring your lamb on the Day of Atonement once a year to the priest who would sacrifice the lamb on your behalf and your sins would be covered by the blood of the lamb until the next year. It's almost like you were kind of loaned some forgiveness for a little while. The scriptures tell us about the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. So this would take place here in this with the sheep and the priest on this certain day as God had prescribed. Your sins would be covered. Now all of a sudden, this guy named John, he says, look, the Lamb of God, look what the text says, not who covers your sins for a little while till the next year, who takes them away. Who takes away the sin of the world. What a moment. Like here is actually the one you've been told about. That the sacrificial system will go away because he's the one who will be sacrificed once and for all for the sins of all God's people. Who God in his grace has appointed for eternal life. He says this is the one I told you about. I love that line. This is the one. It's not me. Yeah, I'm baptizing. Yeah, I'm part of the ministry. It's not me. I must decrease because he must increase. He is the one. After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so he might be revealed to Israel to point people to this new way, this new association with Christ. And John testified, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and he rested on him. God's approval, the father's approval of the son happening right in front of us. I didn't know him, but he was sent me to baptize. The one who sent me to baptize the water told me, the one you see the spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And here comes the statement of belief. Here comes the confession. Here comes the I believe statement. I have seen and testified this is the son of God. Like this is basically John's Merry Christmas moment. Where he's telling people God has orchestrated this in the beginning of time. This actually is the Messiah. He is the son of God. He's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Put your trust in him. Don't look at me. Yeah, you can learn from me. Yeah, God gives us mentors and encouragers and people in our lives. All that's very biblical. But ultimately, look to Christ, he's saying, because he's the one. I'm unworthy to even tie his sandals. You see, the ultimate function of John's public ministry was redirection. Redirection. And I think that's a challenge for us today in our very self-consumed society, is redirecting away from ourselves and to Christ over and over again. John responded, here's a couple chapters later. No one can receive anything unless it has been given to him from heaven. All is grace. All is from God. God initiates everything. You yourselves can testify that I said I'm not the Messiah, but I've been sent ahead of him. I have a prophetic responsibility predicted before time to come and prepare the way for the Lord to tell people, here's who he is. He who has the bride is the groom. But the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. Like your job as a groomsman is not to be the man that day. Heck, the groom hardly matters that day, right? It's to hold up the groom. 
to point to the groom. So this joy of mine is complete, basically like a mission accomplished. Everything I've been waiting for is now happening right in front of me. He must increase, but I must decrease. And a neat part of the story is that before John the Baptist was even born, so backtrack 30 years now, he bore witness to the coming of Christ. That was part of his role. Mary's cousin, Elizabeth, while Mary was pregnant with Jesus, Elizabeth was pregnant with John the Baptist, so she went to visit him. See, in those days, Luke chapter 1, Mary set out and hurried to, the, to a town in the hill country of Judah, where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth, her cousin, going to see her family. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So here's the baby in the womb, like starts kicking when Mary with Jesus comes in the room. Already fulfilling his purpose and his duty of pointing to the coming of Christ. And this kind of revival here, the prophetic ministry of Elijah as John the Baptist, it does come in the power and a spirit of Elijah fulfilling Malachi's prophecy. That's really important. But his most important mission is that he bears witness to Christ. And that's our most important mission as well. That's the fundamental primary purpose of our lives is to bring glory to God by bearing witness to Christ. And I know it's New Year's resolution season, and I think they're helpful, and I think goals are great, but they become such a phenomena thanks to social media in our culture. And again, I think they're good things. I don't want to discourage anybody from those. But how often really are they just all about me? Me, me, me. Like I rarely see someone make a New Year's resolution to give away more. Or a New Year's resolution to maybe read their Bible more to know God more, to be a part of the church more. Usually it's just personal self-improvement type of things. Our society is obsessed with self, and it's applauded, it's celebrated. And maybe we're okay with Jesus increasing like John the Baptist, but as long as we get to increase with him. Not he must increase, I must decrease, but Jesus, yay, increase, yay, God, take me with you because... It's about me. But Christian anthropology, this doctrine of, of humanity really, holds that we human beings, we actually really are extraordinary. Psalm 139 says that we are wondrously made. We're remarkably made. That every single person on the face of the earth is made in the image of God. And that God knit them together in their mother's womb. Like we are an extraordinary creation. Theodore Darwinpel claims this, he wrote this, that Christianity manages the difficult feat of assuring a man of his supreme importance without giving him a swollen head. Just realize that we do matter to God a whole lot. He has made us, he knows us, he calls us by name, but we also realize that we're unworthy of all of it. So we don't buy our own hype. See, every person, every man and woman is important in the eyes of God. And in that sense was at home in the universe. Because the universe, this is still Darlimple here, because the universe was expressly created for a being such as he. Yet by comparison with the author of his being, he was infinitely small. As indeed was every other human being, every other man and woman. However scholarly a man or woman might be, 
God, being omniscient, was infinitely more knowledgeable. However so powerful a man or woman believe him or herself to be, it was finally God who disposed that all human power in the midst of his importance shows us that we are completely insignificant. Trevin Wax says this, that Christianity provides a check on our tendency to adopt a self-important attitude. We are important because we are made in the image of God, yet in comparison with the God we reflect, we are not as strong or amazing as we think we are. And here's how I would summarize it. Church, hear me in this new year. We were made to revere someone infinitely more interesting and awesome than ourselves. We were created to revere someone infinitely more interesting and awesome than ourselves. Christ increasing and us decreasing will also lead us to more joy. We weren't designed, the world does not function in a way that we were designed to have it be all about us where we receive the focus. And the more we decrease and he increases, we're gonna love God's word more. We're gonna love God's word more than the cultural narratives of the day. We don't hear from John the Baptist for a little while, and then he comes back on the scene. Remember what he believed, what he declared, the direction of his life. And we see this. For Herod had arrested John, chained him and put him in prison on account of Herodias' his brother Philip's wife, since John had been telling him, it's not lawful for you to have her. He was unapologetic about the sexual sin that was taking place even with the most powerful people. Though Herod wanted to kill John, he feared the crowds. They regarded John as a prophet. Again, John was a big deal. When Herod's birthday celebration came, Herodias' daughter danced before them and pleased Herod. So he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she answered, give me John the Baptist's head here on a platter. Although the king regretted it, he commanded that it be granted because of his oaths and his guests. So he sent orders and had John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. What freak shows, first of all, that would like that, but it's another story. Then his disciples came, removed the corpse, buried it, and went and reported to Jesus. Wow. Here John had faded into the background, We don't hear much from him again until he wasn't afraid to speak on what he believed about the scriptures and Jesus and the kingdom of God, just like Elijah wasn't afraid to speak against the idol, the false god Baal in his day. Because belief has to lead to courage. Not compromising. Not going with the cultural tide. Not being impressed with power. You can't decrease if fear of what everyone else will think of you continues to increase. Now in America, thankfully, you won't get physically beheaded. But you will figuratively. We need to be more aware how easy it is to just go with the flow. We must be challenged to rethink in our own hearts and minds how we need to find areas of our lives we need to have more courage as Christians as we swim swim upstream in our seeking to follow Christ. We don't choose our time. We know the world's chaotic. We know it's probably the most difficult times in modern history to be a Christian in America. But we must not waste our energy or our time lamenting about how bad things are all the time. We need to see this as an opportunity 
to understand our time and respond to it with gospel conviction and love and courage, with wisdom. I know this idea of increase and decrease is countercultural, but that is our faith. And I know there's some of you who live this life regularly, I'm sure of it. Maybe some of your lives right now is definitely not about you. Maybe right now your responsibilities are taking care of a aging or, or sick elderly parent. And that consumes your life right now. Maybe some of you are responsible every day for someone with special needs. So you know what it's like to all the time have to think about someone other than yourself. So it's easy for me up here to be able to say, hey, God increase, us decrease. And you'd be like, man, you have no idea what that's like. You have no idea what that's like. Now, the opposite of us decreasing is not that you don't need breaks or need time to recharge and, and those type of things, but a lot of you have an opportunity to do that ever. So here's just kind of my word to you as knowing I'm not an authority on this, but as a Christian, I, and not as a pastor, as a Christian, uh, I am an authority on who Jesus is. I believe this to be true. And, and my just encouragement to you, maybe, that, that go through this on a regular basis of having to really check yourself all the time is if you continue to let Christ increase in your life and you decrease in your life, I'm convinced that that's going to be what allows you to continue to go forward day by day in joy and in love. Also, in your pain and in your struggles and in your hardships, the answer to overcoming hardships and difficult days and tough days is not that you increase more. It's that Jesus increases more because he continues to be your purpose and your reason and you're loving others because you know that 1 John chapter 4 says that God loved you first. And who knows where we're all headed in our lives? Our lives could all radically, your life could radically change tomorrow. It could radically change today. It could stay relatively the same, but the call on our lives remains, and that is to redirect from us to Jesus. And who knows how God is and wants to use whatever's happening in your life now to make more the great name of Jesus Christ. Carl Truman wrote this, the doctrine of creation, anchoring human nature and setting the scene for an understanding of our rebellion against God and need for redemption needs to be stressed. This is foundational for our understanding of who we actually are. We must press home Christ's sufficiency in meeting that real need. And he throws a bone to other things that are important. He says, of course, psychology and feelings and the like are part of what make us human. We do have inner lives. Yet the obsession with the therapeutic model, which makes those needs basic, and gives God significance only in the ways in which he can meet those therapeutic needs is not Christianity. Christianity is the elevation of Jesus Christ. That he is our Lord, that he is our Messiah, that he is our Savior, that he is the one that's worth everything in our lives. That's even worth us telling Herod, that's not okay. That's worth, even though the crowds around us, we have all the attention we've been craving, we go, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. He must increase, I must decrease. Look, there's the Lamb of God who is gonna take away the sins of the world. See, he's an example, John the Baptist, that we basically could say, not just need to follow 
because that's easier said than done, but to pray about. And it's one of those kind of prayers you have to be careful what you pray for. When you pray, God, you increase and me decrease. And also, John the Baptist shows us that we need to be willing to be considered crazy. Standing on the margins. Unashamed. Knowing this world is not our home. And how could John faithfully stand on the margins? So I'm just really concerned when I see this kind of young adult Christianity right now, especially that we have a courage issue. Because you might have strong convictions and love Jesus, but you just don't want to go to certain, certain conversations and declare certain things because you don't want to be seen as that kind of Christian, right? You don't want to be seen as out of touch. You don't want to be seen as some like raging fundamentalist crazy person. So what's the opposite of that? Drifting away from the scriptures? What's the opposite of that? Being ashamed of the gospel? I don't think we should be raging fundamentalists. Mercy, I hope not. I'll find a new church if that happens. I want nothing to do with that. Fundamentalists add things to the Bible that aren't there. Theological progressives take away things from the Bible that are there. And both actually have a common denominator, and that's people-pleasing. Because the legalist fundamentalist wants to be seen by his or her tribe as like, you know, the right side, courageous, we're not one of them, own the libs, you know, all, all the rhetoric you hear today. And then, sadly, those who are drifting towards a progressive theology, I'm not talking about politics, I'm talking about belief, Bible theology. What's happening there is they're taking things away, usually for one of two reasons. They take things away from the Bible, one, to justify their, their friend's lifestyle, with how they want to live, what they want to do. Or the other thing is that they simply just want to be seen by a certain group of people as a certain way, and not like those other people. Yet here we have John the Baptist, who the Pharisees, the fundamentalists, couldn't stand. And the secular elites of his day wanted to behead. What does it look like to hold the center? And by that I don't mean be a moderate, because there's nothing moderate about Jesus Christ. I'm not talking politics, I also deprogram our minds. When we hear those words, we always often go to the political. Like when it comes to the faith being lived out in our society, what does it look like to hold the center? that I'm going to believe in the sufficiency of the Bible. It's going to be enough for me. I'm going to be unashamed of it. I'm going to love my neighbor because God loves me. I'm going to be willing to stand in the margins because I'm living in a world that's not our home, but I want to be faithful where God has put me. I I think the best thing you can do in the new year is what you've already been doing, hopefully, which is be faithful to what God has entrusted you. It's in the basic and in the mundane where life really happens purpose of our life is not to have an awesome highlight reel at the end of the year. It's not our purpose. Our purpose is to be faithful on the mission which God has placed us. And John the Baptist was placed on two different things, two different claims. Back to chapter 1 verse 29. The next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then verse 34, I have seen and testified that this actually is the Son of God. I believe that. John certainly believed that. I hope as we move forward into 2022 that you will believe that too. And that confession of faith will direct every area of your life. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful that you are slow to anger and quick to love. 
And for those of us who oftentimes have the right confession, but our lives don't line up like they should, Lord, I'm thankful there's grace for people like me. And for folks who are sitting in this room gathered as the church today. So Lord, I ask that we'll cling to your grace, that by faith we will be willing to stand on the margins, that we'll be quick to run to you rather than try to hide or conceal our sin. We'll be quick to confess because you are quick to forgive. You are quick to love because you are love. And your love was revealed in the fact that Christ died for us. So this new year, we worship the risen Lord. Less of us and more of you. Lord, it is hard in this society we live in where we're bombarded all the time with the applause of a self-consumed life where we're told things like, do whatever makes you happy. Lord, help us to actually do whatever makes you happy. Help the scriptures guide what that means and let's find joy in that and that we won't believe there's more to be gained by disobeying you there is to be gained by obeying you. We won't believe that we have to go around you for the things we're looking for rather than right to you. So I pray for those in this room today maybe that are hurting in the new year. They're not really celebrating a new year. They're just stumbling through it. Those who have hard days and long nights. Pray for those in our church family who are sick right now. Pray for our healthcare workers, our teachers as they get ready to go back to school, our students of all ages as they get ready to go back to school. Lord, that you will increase in our lives, that even in the worst moments that we'll see that more of you is what we need, not less. Because you are the one. You are the Lamb of God. You are the Son of God. You are the Messiah. So we stand with John the Baptist in our beliefs. Let us be unashamed. Let us not cave. Let us not fear others. Let us live in our love you have for us. And we're thankful for all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together and sing some good news.